G'day everyone, welcome to the Australian Herpticulture Podcast. How you going Luke? Good and yourself mate? Good mate, we might just jump straight into it eh? Yeah, sounds good, sounds good. Uh, do you want to do the intro or do you want me to do it? You can do it. Alright, tonight everyone we've got on Chris Smith, you might know Chris from Instagram. Well, your name used to be Smithy wasn't it? With a few S's in front, <laughs> I think you've changed it recently. No, no, it's still the same. No, still, the same. Still, still the same? Oh, yeah. that's because a message that popped up with your actual name, that's why. There we go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so most people probably know you from your scrub python. Of course, it's cracking. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, well, anyway, why don't you give uh, the listeners a bit of a lowdown on uh, what got you into reptiles? Yeah, well, I, I wished I took notes, but I didn't. I thought I'd just wing it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's the way to go. <laughs> um, essentially, um, I grew up fishing and keeping fish in tanks as a yep. teenager and I think you just evolved to um, move something cooler into a tank, I think, and I just went that route. And um, I, um, yeah, went from aquatic fish and then, yeah, I went straight into snakes, so carpet pythons pretty much and spotted pythons a standard route you go. But yep. I was um, fortunate enough to um, meet the Kalagoskis when I was 17. I don't know if you know them, the K yep. Brothers pythons guys. Yep, so, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I met Troy. I was a barber, actually, cut his hair when he had hair. And uh, so, yeah. <laughs> that could have been a while ago. <laughs> when He's we both had hair, actually, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I went and found the right guys at the right time, you know, and that was it. The rest is history. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that would have been some good blokes to learn from, that's for sure. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, I was in good hands. Yeah, I remember watching their videos back in the day, so. That's, that's actually where I think I first saw you was on some of their videos, I believe. Yeah, I was pretty – not keen on getting on camera, but I, they, they forced me a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not my stuff. cup of tea. Also, <laughs> I'm the same, mate. i got a face for radio, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't even have a voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. So what, what kind of stuff are you working with these days? I'm flying a bit under the radar these days, I think, but um, yeah. I'm still keeping, obviously, scrub pythons and a lapids. Um, uh, yeah, like I've um, basically just type ends pretty much and, and scrubbies. And I've, I've yeah. got a bit of this and a bit of that, you know, a bit of everything. But um, yeah. nothing really sort of interests me anymore that I really want to delve into with when it comes to breeding. So I just stick to the... To the ones I know, like the ones I want to perfect, like no one's really perfected scrub pythons, really. Uh, so I've, yeah. and I've been, I've been uh, sort of on that uh, journey, which is um, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit whirlwind. And obviously, anyone can breed a type in, so um, I just keep them just because I like them. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about it. How long you make? You're right, look, you go. I'm just going to jump in here because I'm flying off the seat of my pants too. But what actually got you started in venomous? Like that's a bit of a route that not many people kind of jump into so much. And do you just want to yeah. kind of elaborate where that started and where that went? Uh, I'll be honest. I you know you grow up. I wasn't a super like Ricky Mac herper or anything, but I um you know I liked herping and and when you go and you. When you're a herpy, you don't. Once you see a carpet, you've seen one, you've seen a hundred. You don't really care, and you want to see the cool stuff, you know, like Eastern Brown, something that make your work for your for your photo, or you know. Um, and when I met the Kalagoskis, I I don't know if you know Jonathan Lucas. I, I met him as well, and and um, yeah. At that time, they'd only just John had only just moved up from Venom Supplies with with Shana Klein, 
they both worked at Venom Supplies at the time, and Shana ended up marrying Denver Kalagoski. Um, so, you know, I'd had, I had Denver and Troy to um, steer me in the right direction when it came to python breeding, then I had John to sort of show me the ropes as much as I, his ego will love that. He, um, he sort of showed me, <laughs> showed me the, the way, and um, now I'm a better handle than him. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. But yeah, no, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's just that's how it goes. I think you either you either just fall into it and you love it, or um, you know you grow up herping and you just catch them heaps, so you keep them. You know, oh, it's one of the yeah, other. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be a bit of a common trend with the Vens. Um, personally, I, I just don't trust myself, Keith, and I don't think I've said that numerous times, but, um, you know, I haven't really had much experience with it as well, so that's probably the other reason. So, But you've definitely learnt from some good blokes, that's for sure. So, Yeah, no, I, um, some days I think, fucking, what am I doing, you know? Like yeah. I walk in there and well, I think it was last night I, or two nights ago I was feeding and I, um, I got a fairly big dugot. And it hadn't eaten its food. I wanted to just throw food in. I, I don't tong feed or anything like that. I threw yep. threw a rat in, and it hadn't eaten it yet. So I thought I'll, I'll tong feed this thing. And next minute, it's like an inch away from me, foot on the ground. You know, and I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> Left me slippers right where they were. You know, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Straight out of them." <laughs> Great, yeah, literally, yeah. Mrs. Was, uh, was there watching. She wasn't too impressed. But you know, little <laughs> complacent things still happen, no matter how long you've been keeping up. Um, but it's the way it goes, you know. And luckily, I've never been bitten yet, and somehow, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I don't take too many risks these days. Yeah. yeah. Tell you what, seeing videos of those type ends, mate, they'll keep you on your toes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> they can be full on. There's no doubt about it. They're um they're in a different realm of their own. Yeah. So, so you kind of said that you're like you're trying to perfect, well, not perfect the taipans, but they seem to be like a hot favourite. But have you gone through the ringer with like pretty much all the venomous groups? Yeah, I've, I've, um, to be honest, I, I keep my reptile hobby, a hobby, and it's not my life. So, yeah, I like I, I, um, I have bit, like interests outside of, of reptiles. So, I, I don't generally don't breed too much these days. Um, so I, I literally only breed what I think mates might want or or what I might yep. be able to sell if I need to, especially in being in Queensland with um, the cap they enforced on most Alapid keepers. So um, it's pretty hard you, if you have a you know a brown snake or a type in that drops 20 double, triple clutches, then you're fucked, you know. So yeah. you got to try and get rid of them somehow or kill them like Parks Wildlife want you to do. It's pretty inhumane. So I just don't breed. Yeah, pretty that's much. fair enough. But um, yeah. yeah, they are they are good to breed. There's plenty of variety in them. Like, like I've bred just about all the all the cool critters that I've kept, pretty much. Um, I, I really like Eastern Browns. I've bred them twice. Um, um, there's so much variety in them. I really like them. But I don't I don't like the the hatchling stage. I'm not yeah. Matt Somerville or anything. I don't glutton for punishment. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be, doesn't he? <laughs> he's yeah. He's strange. <laughs> he loves it. Oh, that's gold. So you, you've kept everything from black snakes and adders and, and all sorts yeah, though? Yeah, I've still got black snakes. I've still got mulgers, um, spotted blacks, collets. I've got a, a death adder. They don't interest me too much. So I just have one random male for some reason. Just sits in the yeah. rack, you know. And um, it's a garbage disposal. Uh, other than that, 
other than that, I got a few brown snakes like Jugites, Eastern Browns, and um, what else is there? Um, got a couple like a Tassie Tiger, and you know a few, few different varieties of things that just odd bod things yeah. that I've kept forever. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. not really. I'm at the process of moving house and building a giant herb room, so it's, it'll expand eventually. But I've kept it pretty oh, nice, pretty niche to my likes at the moment. Yeah. And what kind of led you down the path with the scrubbies? Are they something you've always wanted to work with or you kind of yeah. – they just kind of I, fell in your lap or what was the story uh, with them? No, I think I actually chased them actually. I, um, like growing, growing up, I think I was 17. It was 2005 when I met Troy Kalagoski. So I went head yeah. first into pythons and I, I really – like they had all, all kinds of blackheads, olives and anteresia like you wouldn't believe, like hundreds of snakes and I – it was a – so basically I wanted to be something different to them. I didn't want to have another yeah. black-headed python like Denver's got 100 and he's downstairs, you know. Like, so I, I first – Denver actually had um, – he actually lived here in this house actually. He had a, um, a cage at the back with two – like a pair of scrubbies in an in a aviary. And they, and they weren't huge but they weren't small. And as soon as I seen them, I, I just fell in love with them, you know, the massive heads, big scales, yeah. big eyes. They were different. They weren't just a dumb blackhead that just walks along, you know. They were looking at you and what what's going on. So I got my first one in 2006 and, yeah, I worked on them, killed a few, you know, so <laughs> unfortunately. They, um, yeah. They're, they're, All they're part of it. Oh, mate, like anyone who says they've never killed a snake or the snake's never died, I shouldn't say kill it, they they drop off the perch, you know. Like they're a snake that are just – Yeah, exactly. Absolutely finicky, and they'll die out of nowhere for no reason. They'll have bone issues and muscle issues from being kept yeah. inside. There's a um, multitude of things that go into keeping them properly and happily. And um, I just, over the last decade, I've just worked that out the hard way, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But um, are you going to say something else? Uh, I, was, I was just kind of thinking off the top of my head, you know, like when you did start keeping scrubbies, what were some of the processes that you started to put in place? Like maybe if you could, if you're happy to elaborate maybe on some of the downfalls that you think you may have had early on just to try to enlighten some people that maybe still are having issues with them? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, they're pretty much bulletproof from when they leave the egg. Yeah, no, so I was, as I was saying before we dropped out, um, I uh, heat my rooms. I keep my rooms very warm, like about twenty six to twenty eight ambient temperature, so that the actual hatchlings I don't really, I don't cook them or anything like that. But um, yep. I do the standard Morelia, Somalia type setup as you would like perches um, when they require once they get a bit bigger. But pretty much from one uh, from hatchling to one year old, the scrub pythons are bulletproof. People don't have any issues, except for the fact they never calm down. You know. Um, they just keep biting and chewing yep. and shitting on you, and um, they're they're like a jungle on crack, um, and, <laughs> and people they just want a a scrub python that's like my big one, like four and a half meters long and twenty five kilos. They want something that's ridiculous, and it just doesn't happen overnight. And trying to make it happen yeah. overnight is not a good idea either. Like you can get them to, I believe it's three meters in a year, like. They just turn into ropes, yeah. and they um, eventually they just fall off the perch, like like any most snakes do when you when you pump them and chain feed them and, and flog them. But the main thing I found is um, once you get to sub adult adulthood, which is a, a male is around two and a half meters, 
um, they they become they can become really stressy. They um, overhandling is a massive thing with scrum pythons. I think people try too hard, and um, yeah, if you really want to, if you really love scrum pythons and you want to succeed in keeping them happy and breeding them, it it's neglect that gets you there. You need to set up the correct closure, mm. big enclosure, preferably outdoors, and don't touch them. You know, pretty much. Yeah. Um, people want a four meter, quiet, calm beast, but they may as well just keep an olive python because it ain't going to happen with a scrubby. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, when it comes to the downfalls, um, I've kept them inside full term because I thought at one point, I thought Southeast Queensland was too cold in winter. I didn't think it could be done. Yeah. It does get below zero in Ipswich where where I'm currently living. Um, So I'd bring them in for winter or I'd have them inside full time. I had a pretty much a walking cage inside my house at one point and the snakes um i just don't think such a large bodied animal i think it needs uv it needs sunlight it needs that it, it can choose where it wants to bask how, how hot it wants to be um you got to give it yeah. give it give it all the aspects that they require that they can gain in in the wild uh, and you just can't do that indoors um people can do it indoors and they do do it indoors but they have Three meter ropey snakes that are, you know, they're not they're not thriving, you know, like they could be outdoors. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I've noticed with the scrub is you don't see you don't really see them advertised for sale as hatchies much. Yeah. So it's like, are, are people working with them a lot, or is it just the fact that not many people have dialed in the way to keep them to breed them properly? I know I used to see a couple a few years ago here and there from the same people. Yep. Breeding breeding the hatchies, but. This day and age, you don't see much anywhere no. on any any of the Facebooks or Instagram or anything. So yeah, it's one of those things. Like you, you'll see them advertised in cans, and I just have a laugh when I see that. Yep. I think, really, you know, like you can you can put two and two together. Or there are some genuine breeds, like Peter Krauss can breed them and has bred them his whole life in cans in Mossman, wherever he lived. Um, yeah, and um, there is another guy named Hans. He I bought my first snake off of him, and he bred them in Southeast Queensland for. Um, you know, close to five or six years or something, I think. And there are people out there that have bred them, that do breed them, but I don't know what happens with the hatchlings, who buys them, where they go. I, generally, you'll see them advertising mm. there, two metres long, ropey as shit, and they're the worst snakes you'll ever see because someone's tried and failed and they can't can't keep it now. They don't want it, scared of it. So, yeah. so then someone else will buy Definitely. it. And it's sad to say, but most of them, I, I, I would say, die of neglect. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Yeah, you see, you do see a lot of juveniles for sale, but you don't see many hatchies for sale. So, so have you got have you got one pair? Have you working with a few more than one? Uh, at at the moment, I've just got I got the one big female. I've got two big males, and then I've held back yep. five at the moment um, from my recent breeding. That I'm I've, I've got I've actually got five females. So I'm going to keep at least oh, nice. at least one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's it's kind of that's sort of like you know. It's, um, at one point, like years ago, I think I had thirteen scrub pythons all up, and it, and I Whoa. I woke I woke up to myself and I said, oh, I need to cut down a bit here. You know, it's getting a bit out of hand. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. So that's what I got at the moment. Um, yeah, I think I think it's one thing to have you know like thirteen 
pythons and it's another thing to have 13 scrub pythons that require like that kind of work, that kind of space, the meals, yeah. the, the turds coming out the other end of them, like everything with them is just on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, especially indoors trying to trying to get them from a hatchling to a, a three-and-a-half-metre snake that can sustain outdoors. Um, that process is not fun, you know. You know, I, I really like it now. I've got my three big ones in three different aviaries. Uh, if you guys have seen my yeah. my main my main females in a five and a half meter long cage, and and it does its thing. You know, it's good. Mm. It's I've got it finely tuned, and it, it comes out and baths every morning and every afternoon. And in the nighttime, it goes and um, ambush on the ground and sits in the rain, does its thing like a normal wild snake. So it's cool to see. Yeah. That's good to see, yeah. Are you, did you rotate the males through or did you just have one specific male you wanted to put over? Or? Yeah, no, I did have one specific male, which, um, yeah. yeah. So he's a, he's a northern coloured animal. I don't know if you, if you know yeah. the difference between, you know, the ones that get up past that rainforest and to the top. Um, they're, they're a, I personally yeah. haven't seen them in the wild, yeah. But. Yeah, they're, um, they're a lot different looking. I believe they're a lot slimmer and smaller. Um, than the southern typical yep. Cairns ones. Um, so that was the male. I'm hoping that I, scrub pythons come out and they're all brown, you know, similar to carpets and you never know yep. how they're going to colour up. So I've, that's the other reason why I've held on to the, the five that I've got and see how they're going to turn out. Yeah. So were you doing anything when you were um, – obviously you've kept them outside, so you're just letting nature do its thing for cooling and all that stuff, aren't you? You yeah. haven't really – you know, you're not dialing <laughs> temperatures down or anything along that, are you? No. You're just kind of – letting mother nature do its thing yeah absolutely I, I do do i do go a bit extreme on the heating side of it though i did i did panic yep. the first time i put them out there so I, um i've put in like pvc awnings that get rolled down for winter winter days and um lock the heat oh, in yeah. you know and then i've got a basking shelf that's got a uh, like a ceramic heat emitter plus a, a routed in heat cord on the shelf so all the heat is centralized oh, okay, in yeah. one one shelf so it, I think I achieve in the dead of winter on a zero degree morning. I still have got like a, a twenty five degree spot of warmth for it to go to. Yeah, are you finding they're on that first thing in the morning or and at night time as well, or are they kind of you know of a night time just going down into the hides once they've or morning sorry going down into the hides and stuff, or are they kind of perching on that it, majority of the time in winter? Yeah, in winter they um they definitely. Um, sit on it at night time, hundred percent. I've also yep. got a a pretty like an insulated hide box in in there as well, and they they do go on that from time to time. But pretty much they sit on that heat at night time. But they yep. they they bask pretty much three quarters of a day. They'll bask in the sun. But, yeah, wow. Um, the peak of the day, even in summer, that um, during the middle of the day that you don't see them. But every morning it's like clockwork. Eight o'clock comes and she comes crawling out onto the logs. It's funny. It's like they've got a built-in clock when they're that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool to see. But at the end of the day, they know what they want. They know, you know, if they've got the access to it, like it's it's not it, – it's given to them, right? Like if you're giving them the opportunities to use what they want in their environment, then they do become dependable. Like it's no different to seeing like, you know, my diamond pythons would all pile up underneath the heat panel before it switched on because they knew it was about to turn on, you know, and they yeah. get ready for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they know what they're doing. There's no doubt about it. And just providing um, the necessary um, options for them 
no matter what, inside or outside, that's what I like to do with all my animals. You know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What what sort of clutch sizes are you getting from the scrubbies? <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I've got a really poor clutch. The last one, it was. Um, I only got five eggs, and she actually retained another six eggs that I had to remove. Yeah. Um, which wasn't fun at all, but. Generally, I think in previous clutches have been about eleven eggs. Um, yeah, but this is this is this was the first year that this female had bred for me. Um, I actually had her mother beforehand that had bred. Um, yeah, and so I, I was able to grab. She actually died. The mother. I'm not sure many people know that, but the original kraken. Um, she actually she actually died during the middle of winter. Um, just yep. a bit of an accident. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, I didn't really advertise it. It kind of broke my spirits actually. But Better yeah. Yeah. yeah of she, um, she had a really poor, bad shed. I was keeping, this is before I started keeping outdoors. I was keeping indoors and I, it was de- zero degrees in the morning and she had a retained shed and I, I soaked her in warm water in the afternoon. I had a mate here and he helped me assist it, get the shed off and I put her back in. I had ample heating. And then I forgot I was cycling her and the, the heat turned off and she was pretty much stone cold wet from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. Yeah. And then like her body shut down, it was a slow decline. Yeah, It was, it was no good. <laughs> I learned my lesson there. Yeah. Mm. That's, the, that's the downsides of um, keeping and breeding, unfortunately. But that's the thing. It's a lot of like we've, we say all the time, you, no one hears about all that stuff because, you know, a lot of people it happens to, especially with an animal like that, you know. So yeah. it's like your your prized animal almost. It's it's a kick in the guts. You don't really want to put it out there, kind of thing. Yeah, like, some people you know revel in it and they'll put up a funeral and everything. But I sort of just yeah. hid away for a few weeks, you know. And I, um, it was you know it was yeah. shit, but um, it happens, you know. I've I've had other scrub pythons over the years Definitely. that have um, fallen off perches, striking and um, broken their backs. You know, I'm not, yeah. and you won't hear any scrub keepers tell you that, but I, I can guarantee you, I can name half a dozen scrub python keepers that have had snakes break their backs or have muscle conditions or um, from what what we, I say we, I'm talking about like myself, Scott Iper, um, Joe Sambono, um, people that have kept scrub pythons in quantity over years. Um, we've we've noticed that you just can't keep them indoors. Like there, there's genuine issues biologically that happen and I don't know what they are it's just a theory but I've had no issues ever since I've yeah. stuck them outdoors yeah, do you reckon it it's possibly could be UV related or something along those lines even yeah well they're, they're a basking snake you know like they bask in the in the canopy yeah. in the sunlight and in cans and it's it's not cool up there you know so that they must soak up some sun um, but you know it's got to have some benefit I think did you notice when you moved them outside, like the the scales were a bit tougher or anything along those lines? Because I know we've spoken to Scott about it and a couple of other people, and they've you noticed that you know their scales feel a bit bit more tougher when they've actually been kept outside under UV. Yeah, right. Um, I'll be lying. So I'll that be that lying could be something along those lines yeah. too. No, I, I, <laughs> no, that's all right. No, no, I was no. just curious. No, so. I've kept a lot of snakes outside, yeah. like coastal carpets. So I probably, if I really thought about it, I'd probably. Say I've noticed it in carpet pythons, but I've never noticed that in scrubbies. No. Yeah. Oh, there you go. 
I think sometimes too people might kind of think about, you know, generally if you're keeping a snake outdoors, you're giving them a bigger environment where they can move around, they can um, almost use their muscles more. So maybe that gives them a harder feel too if they've got mm. like real strong muscles versus, you know, a snake that's in the indoor enclosure. Yeah, this, this um, But, yeah, I 100% understand what Scott said about that because – I noticed it a little bit with my diamond pythons indoors just because I did crank some UV over them eventually. I didn't do it early on, and I thought that even just the synthetic UVB made a little bit of a difference to them. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, – it makes sense if you really think about it. But yeah, it's definitely a benefit. If any, I, I encourage anyone that can keep snakes outdoors to do it, you know, like it, it's, a, it's a huge yeah. – not only does it save you energy and electricity – but it's uh, the snakes yeah. thrive, you know. I've never had a snake not thrive outdoors. Yeah, but outdoor keeping can be a fickle thing too. You got to be on top of the ball, on top of the weather. Oh all that yeah, sort of you stuff, can have you know you have, have everything like in place. a flood for a week and you got nothing. You know, no sunlight from the basket. And you need to have backup plans. Yeah, hundred percent. Definitely. Yeah. With lab, are you setting up a lay box for her as well in that outdoor enclosure, or have you just got like a hide that she basically just retreats to, and you've just basically set that up as kind of a lay box? Or I've got just a big, like insulated box that sits on the ground. It's not heated; it's just insulated with um whatever substrate yeah. I want to throw in at the time. She doesn't use it at all, pretty much. Um, she just lay like the the recent clutch. She just laid down um, out in the rain and <laughs> spread them everywhere. Oh, really? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, so I had eggs. Yeah. Probably made collecting them a bit easier. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, yeah. Um, it was not too bad to collect them. But, um, yeah, no, she she um, doesn't use it too much. She just sits on a shelf and I've got sort of like a um, – I've made the shelf into like a bit of a half a hide. I've got a, a flap of plastic that folds down on a hinge and sort of locks the heat in, if you know what I mean. And I can just yep. lift that, that up and then grab her out off the shelf. Yeah. What's it like getting eggs off a scrubby? <laughs> they're they're not so much of a handful, when, to be honest. They um, the the point where they get dangerous and painful is when they're hungry. Uh, it, it, yeah. It'd be no different to taking an egg off a diamond python or anything. I don't think they they're a bit defensive and they just they don't really want to bite you. So you just push the head away and grab them, you know. But I've got like a bin, a bin uh, lid yeah. I use as a shield. And I just shield it with the bin lid. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, I'm just thinking because the head, the head size on those things is is huge. Yeah. So I'd hate to get tagged by one of them. Yeah. Well, I, I had to. Re- I told you guys. I just had to. I had to remove eggs the other day. I had retained eggs. I'm not sure if you've seen that post, but I had Denver. I don't think I did actually. I, ju- I don't think I made a post. I just did it on my story. But I um I had Denver Kalagoski come around and and I said, oh, this girl's looking a bit. She's looking thick. For someone that's just laid eggs, even though it was only five eggs, I thought something's going on because she looked a bit big. So I don't, I don't drag her out much. Maybe once every two months, three months, maybe. Yeah. So I dra- decided to drag her out and have, give her a one over, and yeah, she had a, blo- a pretty big blockage down down low. So we um were able to manipulate the eggs out. But as I had her head, Denver needed a pair of tweezers or forceps to get the eggs out. So he asked me to run in and grab some. And, I switch hands, so instead of coming from around the head, he come from front on and it nailed him, just smashed him. He was bleeding like a stuck pig. It was crazy. <laughs> it was good for a laugh anyway. Oh, His jeans were covered in blood. There was blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. Are you so, incubate? No, you're right. You go. 
I, I, I was just going to oh, – you keep going, Jason, because you're on the right trajectory there. No, yeah, yeah. I was just going to backdate it and just start talking about a bit of food, like what you're actually feeding these animals. Obviously, when they're small, you're probably just kept keeping them on rats for a fair bit. But do you have to feed them anything a little bit weird or have you had to feed them a little, you know, not pet shop type rodent <laughs> or anything like that as they're getting bigger? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. Um... I'm I'm a big believer in varying the diets, especially on large snakes. Mm. So I've I've fed it yep. an, an arraignment, an assortment of um of food items. Like I think the most recent thing I fed was guinea fowl, um, full grown peacocks, um, piglets, um, stillborn goats, uh, whatever I can get from a farm, I'll use it. You know, um, but generally oh, yeah. speaking, I just I just go with poultry of some description and and rats in between. Um, yeah, and uh, that generally sorts them out. And every now and then, I have done the odd pig or um, or a little goat or something like that. That that's a good couple of months of food there. But I, I don't feed around clockwork or anything. I just feed sporadically. It's whenever I feel like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely these days with my snakes as well. I like to just kind of like whenever they look like they're really hungry, it's like okay, now you get a feed. <laughs> it's kind of like they have to almost work for it because I find if they're getting getting food all the time, they just get a bit fat, a bit sluggish. Yeah. Um, but no, that, that, that's interesting. Do you do a lot of birds because they are a bit leaner or do, or have you read anything that they are like pro, um, particularly bird-oriented in the wild? Um, I, I actually – I talked to Peter Krause a fair bit when I was starting out with scrub pythons and he, he pretty much just said he feeds most of his – like he told me in the early days he'd feed – pigeons and and pol- like that that's kind of what they forage in the trees you know and, and they're sort of a bird specialist yeah. until they become big then they become mammal specialists or the ambush you know so um i um yeah i just find it's the, probably the cheapest more so than anything really it's the cheapest sort of way to go to feed yeah. one uh too but you also get an adult animal that's got bone and feathers and fur and not too much fat and um you don't want to keep the scrubbies fat as much as people probably think my scrubby is massively fat it's I've never once pushed it to be big. It's just a, it's yep. just the way his mother was huge and it's huge. His father was huge. It's um, it's a big snake with good genetics, I think. And how how old is she now? Uh, it's a touch over ten. I couldn't tell you to be honest, um, exactly, but it's definitely yeah. in the teen, early teens. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, she's she's. I'm getting up there. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like the, the those snakes, they they can just keep growing too. Oh yeah, they just keep getting longer yeah, and longer. That's the plan. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is, I think the way you're feeding as well, she's she's not going to get fat, so she's just going to keep growing nice and lean. So yeah, and obviously the the food you're feeding is probably the good stuff as well. But so that's the thing is, you get a lot of people that are just feed the same thing in and out, in and out. But that could be another detriment to those large body snakes. Yeah, it's just feeding them rats constantly and nothing else is they might not be getting enough nutrients out of it to you know build up the muscle strength or to build up you know calcium in the bones and all that stuff so that could be another reason why they're striking falling off perches and breaking backs as well yeah that's right it could, just could definitely be, as well so definitely be dietary for sure um, yeah mm. a massive combination of the lot yeah 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 Definitely. So, um, do you do you want to go back to incubation talk there, Jason? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask, like, what sort of temps are you incubating at, and how long, uh, roughly, of the incubation for these these ones? I'm a bit um, 
I'm not real um, onto it these days as much as I used to be. So I, d- I went from basically my dimming thermostat shit itself. So I bought a, um, I just bought an on-off thermostat, and I'm running at about yep. 31.5 degrees, and it fluctuates maybe 0.8 of a degree to one degree up and down off of that. So yep. down minimum 30, maximum 32.5, and. I've had no yeah. dramas. I've hatched multiple clutches just doing that method and with good variance in sexes. I'm not sure if that even makes a difference or not. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I always seem to have a good mix of, of, of sex somehow. And that's been the only temperature you've selected the whole way through essentially? Like you haven't tried to tweak it at all? No, back in the day I used to do funny shit like um, crank them at 33.5, 34 degrees. We'll chuck my jungle eggs in there, see if I can crack out a fucking giant super stripe or something weird looking yeah or, or do the opposite and turn it to 28 but these days i just just set it at 31.5 and uh, let it do its thing and um generally yeah. it's not too bad i've got air moving around in there so it stays pretty steady what how how many days are they taking to um to hatch usually uh, at that temp for you is it kind of the same or is it just vary well it depends who you talk to i guess because a lot of people cook at 30 um, but I, um, have found that they, they take roughly 75, 80 days incubation, which is, um, pretty low really, I think in time wise. So I've read that, um, some people crack them out at 90 days. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it goes on this, on the, on the snake itself and the species as well. A lot of people overseas only have, um, barnex, you know, to go off of and, and they, there could be a bit of a difference in the size and the in the species. Yeah, correct Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really know much about the scrubbies and stuff over in like PNG and stuff like that. But the Aussie ones, the Aussie scrubs, they're the big ones really, aren't yeah. they? The ones from down south. As far as I'm aware, yeah. I, I don't have, I'm not really well yeah. read on the on the island varieties in PNG, but I, I'm not, yeah, from what I know and what I've heard, yeah, the, the, guy, the ones we have here are much bigger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, crazy stuff. So when you're when you're setting up these babies, you're just doing the exact same thing as as carpet pythons, like a five liter tub, or are you going something a little bit larger than something like that? I think it's about seven liters, maybe. Um, it's okay. just just a standard Sistema, um, quick quick like tub. And yeah, I just go stock standard, keep them nice and warm, um, keep them up out of the view of everything and traffic. Like they are definitely, yep. you hear little bumps, bump bump bump, them striking out the tubs as you walk past. So. I keep them up out of the way until they're feeding properly. Um, they're pretty much bulletproof. I don't have any dramas feeding them. They, they'll, they'll eat straight away, straight onto sub-adult mice, straight out the egg. They, um, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they're big snakes. Used yeah. to keep them like, yeah, you used to feed them like pinkies or yeah. something like that, but yeah, sub-adults. Yeah, I've got like these. <laughs> I'm just thinking about <laughs> You know, these ones that I got now, these hatchlings, I, I can't I can't even remember when they hatched, to be honest. It would have been January. Um that they're on they're on large large adult mice and almost onto rats. So close. <laughs> they get <insane>. big. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. It's almost the size of a bloody almost a yearling jungle, even almost a two year old jungle. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, they're not they're not small. <laughs> I've honestly never seen a hatchling um, scrubbing their flesh. So yeah, right. But um, they sound pretty impressive. So they are cool. I like the the color yeah. difference when they hatch. You know, they look completely 
not like a scrubby, you know. They got a giant head and they're completely red, you know, like it's, and they got weird patterns. Awesome. Some do have stripes and striping and little variants of pattern that could be worked on in the future, but no, man, they're, yep. they're cool. And are you just keeping them in racks after after you go from your hatchy tub setup just into like a normal rack setup for carpets? Pretty much, yeah. I'll go I'll go one size up into a into the next sort of sort of an arboreal type um, tub and in a rack, and then I'll go into like a melamine cage, six hundred by six hundred, with a perch in it, and just nice and warm and yep. nice and humid. Yeah, keep it pretty pretty simple to start with and, until they're. Um, Big enough that they can't bust out of an aviary. <laughs> <laughs> when you are constructing these aviaries, what kind of things are you actually using in there? Like, are you are you being very thorough with like your mesh choice and and security <laughs> on those cages? Like, do you want to just kind of run through how you actually build the Kraken's cage? Yeah. So the the first the the big Kraken's cage that I got now, it um I actually made it out of a dog run. Um, I bought a dog run on Gumtree. Some woman bought it, didn't want it. It was four meters by four meters, and I just um, cut it down and made it slimmer and longer. So I sort of manufactured it to my liking. So it ended up about five and a half meters long and two point two meters wide. Just made out of thin gal um, that just slides together nicely. And then I I screw that down into a um, into a sleeper base, and then attached to the sleeper base, I have um, mouse mesh, just screwed and pinned to the inside and on the floor, so no cane toes can get in or no snakes can get out, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just use it's just make it like a, like you would any aviary basically. We just galvanised our mesh on the on the roof and plenty all open, except for one one end which is enclosed and insulated. So mass basking yeah. spots with um, plenty of um, cool retreats. I'm assuming, I mean, I haven't really kind of kept up with your photos too much recently, but you've got like massive logs and stuff like that through there so they can be arboreal and get up higher and stuff to bask if they yeah, need Yeah, I've got, I got a set of three or four logs that run almost the entire length of the cage um, in the middle of the cage, which is suspended cool. about 1.2 metres off the ground. So they it comes directly off of its, um, its uh, bench sort of perch and it goes straight onto its logs and it can go all the way. I've got a pond as well in there that's elevated. Um, so I can get under the pond on really hot days. So I've got, yeah. I've got a few different options for when it's extremely hot or when it's extremely cold. Do you find that they use the pond a lot? Um, no, not really. Um, but it, it definitely soaks <laughs> maybe once a year. It'll be in there completely, um, head under yeah. and everything. But more often than not, it'll just retreat under it. And, I, and I've got actually... It's actually a running pond. I've got a, like a filter set up with a submersible pump and just, just gravity-fed filter. Um, uh, but it, it pretty much just drinks out of its water bowls that are, are scattered around the cage. It's, it's fucking hopeless. But I thought it, I got this beautiful running <laughs> pond I made and I thought it would just come down like clockwork and drink. And it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave it the option. I gave so. it the That's right. That's the main thing. <laughs> it's there. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, they got as we've kept saying, they've got all the options in the wild. So all you can do is try to give it to them. That's right. Yeah. And even if that is just for that one soak a year in the pond. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. At least it's there for that. I did. I did at one point put um goldfish in the pond, and and all it did was sit there and strike at them all day. You <laughs> know, so I took them back out. 
So I thought I'd, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. interesting, though. Yeah, it was striking out like crazy. Yeah, it, was, it was weird. So I thought oh, I can't have that. So I got rid of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind, of, kind like, of makes you wonder, though. Like, do the, do the hatchies or something maybe eat on fish or something in the wild occasionally? Yeah, it's weird. You got a four and a half meter snake striking out a goldfish. You know, like it's weird. It's a, yeah, a weird yeah. scenario. You know, <laughs> you know, I think they're opportunistic. They eat anything that moves in the wild as a hatchling for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, are, are, are they? I mean, you've already kind of touched on it, but are they are they all complete psychopaths? Like, have you ever dealt with one that just happens to be a pleasant snake? Yeah, some some do. Like, don't get me wrong, I say that they're all nuts and you know devils. But I think it. I honestly think it. Um, if you like, I have seen adult snakes that other people have raised, hand raised, and. Um, got them to adulthood and they're quiet and they have them at demonstrations around kids' necks and then they just fall off the perch and die. Like, I, I honestly don't think they, yeah. as an adult snake, I don't think they handle consistent overbearing handling. Um, but I, yeah. like that that one I have, like the few that I do have, um, the adults, they, they're completely fine after about five minutes of wanting to kill you. They, they calm down like <laughs> like pretty well. You could You could almost trust it. Um, yeah (laughs) I find that they do calm down about 1.5 meters once they get over that sort of 1.5 meter mark like I don't know what the year eight months old roughly they'll they'll stop shitting on you they'll stop biting you they'll look at you funny if you move if you move real quick you do stupid finicky things they'll bite but you can can get them out and you can handle them good Um, but then once they hit that three meter mark they they flick a switch and they um, they don't want to bar you anymore uh, it's it's a bit weird. That's yeah, that's yeah. just my own personal take on them. Like I've kept a few. So it's funny. You hear people that see the, you know the big ones in the wild that are like five plus meters long. They all say that they're mm. relatively calm. Like you can walk yeah. up and pick them up. But the majority of the stories you hear from the captive animals, it's quite the opposite. Yeah, so. I've been I've been up there and I've caught them and they they never even look like biting you. And the, yeah. and then I, I also know for a fact of. I know the university um, actually um, got permits to acquire scrub pythons a few years ago from the wild, and as soon as they're put yep. in a cage, they just bang. They're fucking mental. They don't stay calm <laughs> at all. Has there, do you know if there's been much like radio tracking on those guys, whether they cover a large area? Yeah, like there is a uh, – Basically, a, they're not confined to a small area. There is a paper being done. I think it was by Rick Shine. Um yeah. Him and a few guys, Joe Sambono, they um they did a study on them in Tully Gorge. Um I'm not real wet on I'm not well read on the on the paper itself, but I'm pretty sure the females <clears throat> never really move that far, maybe two hundred, three hundred meters really. But the males would travel one point five Ks, I think. Um so I don't think their home range is, is huge, but they, they definitely move yeah. move about a little bit. Yeah. But I suppose even two, three hundred meters to a snake that's five, five meters long, so, you know, huge compared to what most people would have kept them in indoors in in, a, in an enclosure. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do, do do you have any sort of like inklings as to something you might want to change up in the future with keeping them? Like, as in, like, do you want to try to see if you can build? like a ridiculously tall enclosure and see what they'll use or like have you got any sort of ideas about what you'd try to next? I've got um, – I've got – like I'm building a house at the moment and I've got a couple acres. So 
my herp shed is going to be ridiculous. Um, I'm going to put like a Peter Kraus. He used to have a like an indoor outdoor aviary, so you'd go into his snake room and he'd have a his scrub pythons or whatever in a cage in, in his herp room. But they had a access through the wall out into an aviary. <clears throat> so my plan is yeah. to do the same thing with my big girl, so she can come in and out of the, you know, come into complete controlled temperatures, or go outside and have nothing. Um, and I'm going to have the males either side of her aviary with um, basically tunnels that I'll open up for breeding, but they'll they'll be next to each other. I want to keep them separate at all times, with, and um, just introduce that way um, that they can do the introductions themselves. I don't have to manually do it. Um, when it comes to like yeah. climbing and stuff, <clears throat> I find that they um, the bigger they are, the more arboreal they seem to be. I mean, sorry, uh, terrestrial they seem to be. Um, the, the female loves being on the ground and just being – they like just being safe and tucked away. So if you could provide a, a perch that's the very top of the cage and it's nice and flat, they'd, they'd definitely go up there. But um, as long as you put something that they think they can't be seen, they'll, they'll go anywhere. So I'm not – Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I suppose like what you're trying to say there as well is like if they've got the support and the security – Right, so like if it's just like a thin branch, like they're probably not going to go and sit on it. But if yeah. they feel like their body is nicely supported and they're feeling nice and safe up in a, you know, out of the way sort of area, yeah. Because I suppose if like if they're sitting in a canopy somewhere where they've got like all these branches to sit on and all this leaf litter and stuff like that, or, or like leaves, live leaves and branches, like that is security at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. So and they are fairly clumsy. Like the <clears throat> the the um, ventral scales are. Are huge, you know, so they're not that great on gripping something that's small. Like the perches have to be fairly wide yeah. and supportive. Um, well, they do have a hard time maneuvering, <clears throat> and they're you know striking for food. They'll fall off every time, almost, you know. So you got to give them plenty of grip and um, options. Yeah, I love that idea of um, the the Avery's outside and inside yeah. in the room. I reckon that's awesome. They could be we're giving them the best of everything, you know. They can choose what they want, the controlled temperature. They can go out and bask in the UV. If it's cold in winter, they might just, you know, get a bit of morning sun, come in for the heat throughout the day, you know. I reckon that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the plan. It'll be a bit of a um, showpiece, hopefully, cage that won't get trashed too much. They're, they're actually, once they're an adult, they're not, yeah. they're not too bad. Of a, um, they're not overly dirty, no. That's always good. I suppose there's nothing worse than, you know, snakes that paint up the walls and I'm sure you've had plenty of experience with that, with the venomous in particular, but, you know, yeah. at least that's something that, you know, once they're a bit bigger then you don't have to worry so hard about it. You probably just have to get a shovel instead of a plastic bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. I've, I think I've convinced Matt Sunwell to come down and, and deck the cage out for me, so... <laughs> I'm going oh, to get him to That'll look awesome, yeah, yeah. deck it out because I'm not – when it comes to cages, I keep them pretty simple. I give them what they need and um, I still provide enough room and everything, but I'm not, I'm not a tub keeper as such. Uh, yeah. But I would like a pretty one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm keen to see the, the end result of that when you're finished. That is he, is he going to be like, doing like complete mock rock for it as well or is it just like uh, – He probably doesn't, what, he doesn't he know planned? what he's doing yet, I don't think. I just said, I need you to come build me a cage. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, you pay for the flight. Yeah. So I'll hold him to it. <laughs> yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, you've called him out now, that's for sure. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> He'll probably listen to it and shoot you a message because I think he's out herping at the moment, I think, anyway, isn't he? So. I don't know where he is. He sent me a Snapchat he today somewhere at a zoo or something. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I know I, saw, I shot him a message the other week because I'm, I'm getting a book off him, but um, he said he'd message me when he gets back, but it'd be about three weeks. I was like, yeah, whenever you're ready. So, <laughs> I think, yeah, he's, he's out enjoying himself, so him and Christy. Hard life, eh? Yeah, I know. Jealous. I bloody organise all these trips and I can't even bloody get away to one. <laughs> yeah, you missed out on a rough trot lately. Rough trot. Yeah, had a rough trot lately, I tell you. Oh, yeah, I bet. Kids. <laughs> so. That's all right, mate. I'll keep going. Yeah. Yeah, you're both, yeah, just a proven breeder now, aren't you, mate? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Got a little one on the way now, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting times ahead, that's for sure. Congrats. Yeah, it's funny. Because yep. I shot Chris a message before. I'm like, oh, I'll probably be about 15 minutes later. I'm just getting the kids to bed and he rides back. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. So I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> so <laughs> Something I've got to look forward to. Yeah. But um, yep. are you working with many other projects or anything like that that you want to touch on? Or um, are, you work, are you working with black-headed pythons? Or? Oh, I actually, I, um, yeah. Denver's Denver from K Brothers Pythons. He's looking to sort of get back into the blackheads again. And I luckily had um, two of his biggest females here. Um, so uh, yeah. I've loaned them back out again and uh, they're back into a breeding project um, with some of the nice. old K Brothers um, animals. So hopefully can establish some, some good blackhead lines again. Um, but other than that, oh, um, not really. Hey, I'm, I'm, um, I'm keeping pretty low at the moment just with everything going on with work and, and the, the yeah. house build and everything, um, just trying to keep it, everything. Uh, I, I'd like to get back into breeding inland taipans. I've never bred inland, so I've got, I've got some there. But, yeah, other than that, I'm not, I'm not too worried other than the um, – oh, actually, I like – I don't know how I forgot that. I bred um, South Aussie Womers this year. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so um, – <clears throat> and I really like them. They're big, like the females are good, seven and a half foot long, um, massive snake, eight foot maybe. Wow. And uh, the, the male's completely silver, um, even the face and everything. So I bred some pretty wow. pretty crackers. I actually <laughs> sent a couple to Matt um, up in Cairns, sent him some. He wanted some. So, yeah, I work on those. I think, um, I think the market might come back around full swing with some good locality pythons rather than a uh, bunch of mudbloods, you know, everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that. But that's another thing too, the black-headed pythons and the womers, you don't see them much around anymore as well. No, they're, they're – Like they're kind of, you know – Blackheads are extre- extremely – Like once the K yeah. brothers. Yeah, gone. Yeah. Yeah. The blackheads yeah. are extremely hard to breed. Like some people might have a really, really compatible pair or one female that breeds for them. But generally if you – I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble – with, with blackheads and I, um, there's a few different things I could touch on as to why or, or how they thrive but more, more so than anything I think a lot of people keep them too thin blackheads yeah um, they are most people say oh you know you see them in the wild and they're skinny you know and this and that but um, good if you want good clutches you have to have a female that's had a good season so if you seasonally feed yeah. and you seasonally feed correctly um, and you have the conditions right and the temperatures right, photo periods, get the lot. They need they need all of that to, to get them to breed um, and, and generally work. So like the K Brothers Pythons, they pretty much did everything again that the book said not to do, you know, like that. 
don't keep your snakes massive. And yeah. they had three meter long, ten kilo blackheads, you know, like, and and they breed like clockwork around the clock every year. Um, good healthy hatchlings and no dramas, and then they drop out and no one can breed them again. You know. Yeah. There's definitely been a lack of them floating around the market. You know, you see the odd people cracking a clutch here or there or whatever, but yeah, can't lie, Denver was bloody consistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knew what he was doing. You know, yeah. There's ten ten years of of perfecting this sort of craft, and Troy with his olives are the same. Like he, no one's really bred albino olives like Troy could breed. Um, so that, yeah, and, and good good quality hatchlings as well, full clutches. Yeah. That don't die, that don't have missing eyes and deformities, and you know, that you name it. It's a pretty dodgy, uh, it's a small gene pool, the old albino olive. But if you if you take the time yeah. to do hets and wild types and outsource the um, genetics, you, you can um, reap the benefits. But most people don't, they just go alb to alb, alb to alb. Never works, never works. And yeah, you know, it's the same thing with, with good quality blackheads or, or womers. You, you try and rush it, try and pump a snake up too quickly or rush it and have the wrong um, photo periods or no photo period, no heat, the multitude of things that could go wrong for a keeper. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you just need to hit what they always say, you need to hit like five out of six things or something like that to try to <laughs> yeah. really make sure you got it. Yeah, there's, there's plenty yeah. of tricks of the trade, and I'm not sure if any, which one's more important than the other, but as long as you try your best, you know, like uh, you generally pull it off one year out of five, you know. <laughs> yeah. And every now and then you get lucky. That's it. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's good to hear. Demo's getting back into it again with blackheads, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's just bored to be yeah, honest. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of the stuff, though, some of those blackheads are popping. I can see the picture behind you from the Scales and Dales yeah. magazine. Yeah. I keep looking at it. Some of the stuff that they were popping out was unreal with those blackheads. Yeah, it's crazy. And, it's um, crazy to see growing up, you know, like from like I'm 34 now and I was yeah. 17 then. And he had, he had one normal wild-type snake that had a dot of gold on its chin and then 10 years later he had a full gold head. You know, like it took a long time. Yeah. But he got there, you know. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Even just down to like the patterns and stuff that they were getting, like those train tracks mm. and the oscillates and, yep. and all sorts. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just yeah, the variety. Definitely in, thinking outside the box. Yeah, the variety in the clutches they used to get was just crazy. Like lots of people used to froth on um, the solid black backs on blackheads. You'll get them come out yeah. and they look really, yep. really solid black. But by the time it's twelve months, the black's gone and it's just stripes. And and it was one, yeah. one clutch Denver hatch one year, and it had a couple of spots on its body. And I said, "Oh, that's unusual. We should should work on it." And he held it back, and then that created the oscillate line, and and then off it went. So we were trying to produce blackheads that had spots all on them, and you know, and it's definitely doable if people want to put the time in. It's the same with any snake at all, you know. You, yeah, put the time and effort in. You pick two that look similar, and it should polygenically inherit. Yeah. Did anyone do anything with those animals, like keep it going, or are they kind of just faded out kind of thing? Do they keep track of who who had them and that kind of thing? He's thinking about getting them back? Uh, or? Yeah, he definitely had. He'd, well, we got some friends of ours. I'm not sure if you know, like Wayne Larks, Deb Larks. Yeah. They, they, they kept some of probably the best of the best. Um, oh, that's good. And they got some mm-hmm. nice ethics out there and uh, a few other um, keepers, I'm not really sure off the top of my head, like um, Rob Sullivan, he, 
he, I'm pretty sure he got a whole entire project at one point there. I think it was a Calico sort of project. But yeah. what, what people have done with them since then, I've, I've no idea. Mm. I was kind of good that Wayne's got a few, though. So a few of those ripper ones, which is good. Yeah, that's it. Have you kind of noticed anything in your um, scrub pythons that you might want to toy around with that's polygenic or, or you might think that you could kind of nut out to be polygenic? Um, not particularly. Like in these juveniles I've got, I've noticed one might have a bit of a uh, – some some sort of a dorsal stripe. But other than that, it's okay. more so the northern coloration that I'd like to, yep. to work on and, and see if I can get it to cross over into the, the southern sort of – variety of coloring in size to try and get a big big snake that has that coloration but it's more so just perfecting the breeding of it to be honest i just want to be able to breed yeah. them and, and and get it right and yeah see how we go be consistent yeah that's right thing. exactly yeah because you always want people wanting them but there's just none about mm. yeah they're, they're one of those snakes too that they uh such a big responsibility to own because they're not just like a little toy carpet python sort of thing, you know, like it's, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of space, like all that stuff that goes into them. Like not everybody has that time. And as, as you said earlier, Chris, you know, you see so many of them that are like two meters long getting sold on. It's because people are starting to realize that they're not what they're into. So. Yeah. No, people, you, you end up with a, a snake that's extremely pissed off, extremely hungry. It's like an overgrown tree snake that just wants to kill everything and and it's purely because they're not keeping it correctly if they kept it correctly it'd be much it'd be much more of a delight to to sort of look at and appreciate and keep it's not they're not that bad to handle mm-hmm. if you can keep them properly um but yeah they are a nightmare to get off a perch <laughs> if you want to get them off a perch <laughs> good luck yeah <laughs> I just keep thinking, like, just the size of those things when they're fully grown. Like, man, they're so. They're, I love. I just love the pattern on them as well. That's that's the other thing I think is a bit underrated with those snakes is the pattern that's actually on them. Oh yeah. Like, I was down at um, the zoo the other day having a chat with Cam, and he showed me the the ones down there, and they're absolutely stunning. The pattern on them. Oh yeah, they're nice. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. I really, if you haven't seen a northern one, I'll send you a photo. It, the, the coloration yeah, is, is um, it's next level com- compared to a normal a normal scrub python you'd see. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see one in the wild. That's another thing I want to tick off is photographing those bad boys up there. Mm-hmm. So I have to organise a trip up up that way one day. I think so. Hopefully, I can make it to that one, eh, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying you're coming, mate. You keep saying you're coming. I know. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, life. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Life gets in the way, mate. <clears throat> so, that's right. We didn't we didn't get all our targets last yeah, weekend. Right. There's, so there's another one. So yeah, I I kind of tagged onto this trip just because I was just keen to get out and you know see what I could see sort of thing. And even now, you know, because I, I just gave or sold Jason all my leaf tails. And even now, after seeing these things in the bush, I'm like, man, maybe I should have held onto a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> leafies it's are good pretty to cool. see them in the habitat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you guys yeah. done They're done cans probably, before? No, no, never. That's pretty cool. I've been up there a that's, couple that's of times. Probably, that's, that's probably my bucket list place, like ever since I've been into reptiles because green tree pythons are what got me in that into that 
into reptiles. So, yeah. And obviously chameleon geckos. So that yeah. whole Cairns up north area is like my bucket list place to go. Yeah. So That's about the only thing. Like the first time I went hurting with Matt up there, he goes, oh, we find scrubbies everywhere. They're everywhere. And we couldn't fucking find one to save himself. And, and we, <laughs> it's always but, the way, but we did find a, a shitload of um, chameleon geckos and it was pretty cool to see. You know, that yeah. I'm not much of a gecko person, but I appreciate the big cool ones and the ringtails everywhere. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's another one, the ringtails. I'd love to see some ringtails as well because I used to get ringtails as well. So. Yeah, nice. They're big, cool, yeah, large gecko. Yeah, awesome, awesome. But that's that's probably my bucket list place to go, I think. Lux, Lux was obviously NT. <laughs> but, um, no need to yeah, go back mine's, there now. Mine's definitely Cairns. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. go back there any day of the week. I've still got heaps I need to see. <laughs> heaps. Pretty good but, going. Yeah, mine's definitely the north. Yeah. The north of um, Queensland, so I, I think I'll try and plan a trip up there one day, eventually, and tick off a few things up that way and photograph them. So that's definitely okay. what I want to do. I'm yeah. keen to go anywhere. I don't even care anymore. Same I'm here. just keen to be out in the bush. <laughs> I actually spent about four years as a fauna consultant in, in the mine, so I got a bit herped out for there for a while. <laughs> so I've only just now starting to want to go back out again and, and see a few things. Yeah. See, I've just been bitten by the herping bug because I never really did it much when I was younger. Like I kept, but I just never had a group of mates that were into herping. So I was just kind of like I just kept pythons and geckos kind of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, now I've just kind of been bitten by that bug and I just just can't seem to make it out to the trips, unfortunately. So, (laughs) but that's just life. That's the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? Anyway, that's it. Exactly right. So, Hey, at least I'm filming it all for you, mate, so you can yeah, please exactly. live vicariously. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, well, we'll get you up time. there one day. I'm keen to go up there. I'd be keen to see like voids, the northern leafies. I'd yep. love to see green trees in the wild. I'd love to come across big, impressive scrubbies as well, just to be yeah. able to, you know, actually see them stretched out. Because whenever I've seen them in person, like a big one, it's always just been curled up and sleeping or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I don't, I don't look impressive to judge when they're like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good stuff. Have you got anything else that you want to touch on at all, Jace? I'm good. What about you, Chris? You good or? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. If you guys got any other questions, I can answer. Um. Just with you, we. I, I will just ask this too. With your incubation, so you've touched on your temperatures and stuff, but what? sort of like size are we actually talking about with these eggs because I'm going to assume that they're massive. We didn't actually touch on how <laughs> yeah, big right. they are. Like do you have any sort of like <laughs> – do you have any sort of like weights on yeah, them? Yeah, like, actually um, – You know, do you have to put them in an esky? <laughs> no, luckily I only had a, a ridiculously small cut, clutch this year, so it was all right. But um, the, I think the biggest egg they did vary a little bit was 121 grams. Um, yeah. It was fairly, fairly big. <laughs> they're, they're about – well, they're a bit bigger than a black-headed python egg, like quite quite substantial. And then the snakes come out and they're and they're almost like sixty centimeters long or something like that. They're crazy long. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, about the roughly a hundred grams, give or take ten, maybe. Yeah. Uh, on the egg sizes. And have you weighed them as they've gone further down in the incubation trail as well to see how much the eggs actually pack on mass? No, I didn't actually. <laughs> I should have. I'm, I'm hopeless when it comes to. Really? I used to. Um, I used to like document everything by photograph, and then uh, I'd just say oh, I'd save it to my Facebook, and then my Facebook got deleted a few years ago, and I lost everything. So 
<laughs> I used to write all the, the things down on the tub at the year, you know, end of the year, what grams they were, and then take a photo and then wipe it off. You know? and so I lost a bit of, yeah. bit of intel, but, you know, I'm starting to accumulate it again. Yeah. Well, speaking of intel, like you've got a few books there behind you. Do you have any sort of like favorite books that you could uh, maybe suggest for people that want to get into some scrubbies or any any literature that you've found over the years that you particularly thought was good? Um, I like the book Justin sent me, um, just the complete carpet python. If if anyone's like into carpets, it does. It's pretty broad on genetics, but it does give you a breakdown on basic keeping, basic principles. Anything that Justin and Nick have put out is pretty good. Um, yeah. And then obviously there's – um, for the second one. Yeah, definitely. And there's um, some some other books, you know, that put out by Rick Shine, like the paperwork, the paper that I told you you did on Scrub Python, um, if you really want to go down the Scrub yeah. Python route. But I don't know if you see that book behind me. There's a book up there called um, – it's called Giant Snakes, A Natural History by John Murphy and Tom Crutchfield. Um, Tom, Tom sent that to me from America and um, – it touches on on massive snakes and and um, if you do want to go down a scrub python route, it's a good read. It's a pretty. It, it basically touches on all the big snakes around the world, but it has got a really good in depth section of of scrub pythons in it. Nice. I don't have that book actually. I've seen it, but I actually don't have that. If book, you so. if you don't have it, there's, <laughs> a, there's photographs in there that were taken by. I'm pretty sure it was Rick Shine or. Joe Sambona holding like the world's biggest scrub python you'll ever see in your life. It's it will make make it will look like a, it looks like a reticulated python. It's ridiculous. See, wow! Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it makes mine look like a hatch thing. It's that big. It's crazy. <laughs> so they they get big. They're proof wow, in the pudding, you know. So. Yeah, I might have to get that book, I think. Luke's probably looking for it now. I think I might look for it when I get off. So I don't know what you're talking about, mate. I've already found it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good but, read. Um, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. You might have to work on with Justin and that on a bloody complete scrub python book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, um, it, it's a funny story too, actually. Um, the, the Kraken name, the, I didn't, I never named my snakes. I'm not, I'm not that cool, but um, – I actually took the scrub pythons to an American meet at the K Brothers Pythons house. So a bunch of Americans come with Brian Barczyk and they said, I'll bring you a scrubby around. And I brought this scrubby out and I pulled it out of the bag like dramatically. And, um, and uh, Justin Julian was there and he goes, release the Kraken. And ever since then, <laughs> ever since then it stuck, you know, that was the, um, that's where the Kraken came from was from Justin. So yeah. a bit of a laugh. Was that oh, when, yeah. um, Brian to come over for the magazine for Scales and Tales. Yeah, I think we flew him out. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Actually, it was. Um, yeah. No, he did that. He oh, did a, expo, he, was no, it? he did a tour. It was like a herp tour, and I think they did one with oh, okay. with Birchie. He took a group of Australians yep. to America. They did, only did it once back and forth, and then it was a bit. How's yeah. your father? But yeah, he's been out a few yeah. times, Brian. I got a lot of time for him. He's a good bloke. Yeah, I remember watching his YouTube when I first got into it. I think everyone stumbled across Brian Barchek <laughs> when they first got into reptiles back those days. Yeah, I remember every night I'd just be on YouTube just watching his videos. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done a lot with Spent him many over hours the years. I've done a bit of YouTube with him and, and worked on the Discovery Channel with him. And, and he's a, he, he comes off as um, a showman, but he's, he's the most down-to-earth, capable handler, you know, as an American you'll ever meet yeah. when it comes to Australian lapids. He's pretty capable. 
and a good bloke. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah, he gets a bit of a rough rap, I think. But I think as soon as anybody starts becoming popular in one way or another, then there's always going to be somebody that's jealous or wants to put, you know, shade on you. Especially in this hobby, yeah. Yeah, it's bad for it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing is he brings the eyeballs, like, into the hobby as well. So he's bringing all these new people in. And then these new, like, obviously ball pythons are big in the U.S., you know, he's bringing them into the ball pythons. But then someone gets this ball python and they discover there's all these different types of pythons out there. Yeah. Or and, and whatever else there is, you know. So he's bringing those eyeballs in. So he's he's doing it. Yeah, it's like yeah, you need someone to, to time, get the, so. the grassroots of the of herpetology, you know, grassroots of the hobby. And, and there's people like that that attract exactly. attract the new kids and the new people. And and without them, that you don't yeah. you don't even have a hobby. You know, who are you going to sell to? You know, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, all the bearded dragons that get bred every year, all the all that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, that's yeah, it's part you know, and parcel. They just don't go anywhere, really. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So, anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, good stuff. Well, yeah. thanks so much for coming on, yeah, Chris. Thanks, did you want to? Um, did you want to throw out anywhere that people can find you if they want to see some scrubs, or if you if, if if you are happy to answer any questions where they can contact you? Yeah, they can get me on my Instagram. That's pretty much the only thing I use really in it. Um, you know, there's a few things on there. That Smithy, it's with four S's. Um, you can find me there, and I'm happy. I'm always happy to to talk to anyone. Really, I'll give anyone the time of day and. Uh, any information anyone wants, so happy to help. Your inbox will probably get flooded going, oh, how much for a scrub <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I'll insult them with a big price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Alrighty, guys, so we'd like to say a massive thank you to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliapythonradio.net and email them at info at moreliapythonradio.net. As far as contacting us on our social media platforms, you can email us at australianherptoculture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Make sure to check out our Teespring store for podcast merch. The link is on the Facebook page. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him on Facebook and Instagram at The Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beaches Scaly Beasts. We'd hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Herptoculture Podcast. Good night, guys. Good night.